Hello, everyone. Lucid Dreaming teacher Charlie Morley returns to the podcast today as I continue our series on hell. Charlie is the author of Dreaming Through Darkness, a book about engaging the shadow through lucid dreams, and his explorations of this area have included entering into his own personal image of hell. I'll be asking about the psychological insights such adventures can bring and the benefits of being willing to engage with our darkest fears. Charlie is also a student of Tibetan Buddhism, a spirituality with some of the richest and most gruesome depictions of hell. And he starts us off by explaining the mythos and symbolic meaning of the hell realms found within that tradition. So first of all, here's my disclaimer. I'm not a Tibetan Buddhist scholar, um, but I did spend eight years living in a Tibetan Buddhist center, and I spent the last 11 years uh, teaching lucid dreaming and dream yoga within the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. So I know something of it. So there I go, just in case anyone's watching this going, he got it wrong. Um, Okay, so within the Tibetan Buddhist view of reality, within samsara, there are six realms of existence. Only two of them are what in the human realm we'd refer to as animate, the human realm and the animal realm. So there are four other realms of existence with billions more beings in them than there are in the human realm. Human realm is the rarest realm there is, um, which we can't see. Um, if you develop your meditation to a certain point, you literally could see them. Uh, but right now, it's almost like the spectrum of light that we can see compared to other animals. In this spectrum of the, the human light form, we can only see uh, animals and, and humans unless we develop this capacity. Um, so there's animal realm, human realm, um, demigod realm, god realm, hungry ghost realm, and hell realm. Let's focus on the, on the hell realm because actually the reference, when we talk about the hell realm, that actually refers to all the others too. Um, the hell realm is a place where beings are tortured by the traumas of aggression and hatred. It's said that there are, let me check my notes here, like 11, 16 hells, right? So, th I mean, this is funny. I mean, Buddhism predates Christianity by like 500 years, right, at least. Um, so, yes, there are similar descriptions here. And probably the Christian ones came from the Buddhist ones. Because at the time when Christianity emerged, Buddhism was the dominant religion of the near and, and uh, far east regions. I mean, around the Swat Valley, around Afghanistan, around obviously India and those areas. Um, so the Christians absolutely will come into contact with the Tibetan Buddhist view of hell. So it could actually be the Tibetan, sorry, that the Buddhist view of hell came first. So um, of these 16 hell realms, there are like um, eight, which are the hot hells, and there are eight cold hells, neighboring hells, ephemeral hells. Basically, they're all descriptions of psychological trauma. So like there's a hell realm in the um, uh, hot realm that talks about being pinned down with your arms and legs too heavy to move and having molten lead poured down your mouth so you become as heavy as a weight. Now, anyone who's experienced depression, isn't that how it feels? You know, and you're just on the sofa and you just can't fucking move. You're just like, oh, it, even to move a limb feels like, you know, moving a mountain because that depression is so deep there. Um, there's another one, which is um, another hot hell realm where you basically get chopped into little pieces. And then just when you've been chopped into pieces and you cease to exist, boom, you reanimate again. And then boom, 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 you're chopped into little pieces. And the, the ego death suffering that many people experience through, um, through trauma or through psychedelic experience or through uh, kind of ego death, again, sounds so similar to that. Um, if you look at the, uh, some of the cold hells, the freezing out of social isolation. Um, the hot hell seems to refer to something that sounds very similar to post-traumatic stress disorder, a consistent reliving of painful events as if they are happening now. And you're like, okay, this is, 
this is PTSD, this is trauma. So it clearly says, and I will quote this, um, everything is a manifestation of mind, there is no hell out there. So all of these 16 hell realms are corresponding psychological states. And yet, it is said that every one of those hell realms is as real as the human realm, because the human realm is dreamlike. And yet, feel how real this feels, right? We, we think this is real. We think that you're separate from me. So when it says the hell realms are manifestations of mind and should not be taken as real places, that's not saying they don't exist. It's saying they are as non-existent as the human realm. So the experience of the hell realm will be like that. Uh, it just will be illusory, just like our experience of the human realm is like this, but it is similarly illusory. Um, it said, though, in the human realm, I mean, it says like in the human realm, you can experience all the realms of existence in a single day. So let's say uh, I wake up in the morning and I switch on my phone and um, uh, the woman I'm in love with has sent me a, a text message saying that she loves me too. And I feel like the God realm of pure joy, the God realm of, of nothing can touch me, of amazingness, or of no suffering. Then later in the day, uh, I go onto her Facebook page and I see that she's been messaging another guy who I'm jealous of. Boom, suddenly I'm in the jealous God realm. I've still been told I'm loved, but now I'm jealous of that. I'm grasping. I want, I want more. I want something different. Then later on in the day, I'm full of desire. She's not replying to my text. So I'm in the desire realm of the human realm. Later on, she does respond to my text and suddenly it's all passion and aggression. And I'm in the animal realm of these base chakra desires. The next day, she's not returning my calls, and I'm feeling the deep grasping, the deep longing, the deep insatiable thirst of the hungry ghost realm. The hungry ghosts are depicted as beings with massive bellies, really long necks, and tiny mouth. So they've got these big bellies, they're this insatiable greed, but a tiny mouth, so they can only take in a little bit of, of sustenance. And the neck is so long that by the time it gets to their bellies, it's rotten or it's evaporated. Doesn't that sound like the grasping of, of, of wanting more experience? And then later in the day, she dumps me and I'm suddenly in the hell realm of deep depression and trauma. I mean, this is actually, no, it was, that was pretty good. I, I'm sure there's some Buddhists out there who think that's completely sacrilegious for me to uh, do the six realms of existence in your girlfriend breaking up with you. I think it works think, for most people. Yeah. <laughs> I think that works. I'm going yeah. for that. That's my angle on it. So you can experience all of the realms in, in all of the other realms can be experienced in the realm that you are in. And yet, because our only experience that we know about, at least, unless you have past life experience, is the human realm, we could say we can experience all of the other realms in one day. Um, and for anyone who's experienced trauma, aggression, I mean, a lot of the realms are around aggression. You know, when you're, I mean, I haven't had this for a while, but I know in my teenage years when I used to just lose my temper and I became kind of red-faced demonic, and I was rah, like that's the hell realm. The hell realm where all I can think of is aggression, where I'm completely blinded by my aggression, where I might even harm myself. In fact, some of this very interesting, if you look at the, the hell realm descriptions, some of them remind me of kind of self-harming behaviors too. Um, so I think it's very interesting here um, how these psychological correlates are created. Um, and interesting that paradox that on the on the an ultimate level, the hell realms do not exist. They are all manifestations of mind because everything is a manifestation of mind. But at a relative level, they will feel as real as this human realm. Um, and I like that too, that it is a kind of a dualistic view of hell as the Christian concept, like you're actually there being stabbed by, you know, burning hot pokers all the time. Um, and the kind of ultimate view. Now the Christian, well, most of the monotheistic religions don't have that ultimate view of reality. They're based on a dualistic view of reality mm. of creator and servant to creator. Um, so the big difference is in Buddhism at an ultimate level, they don't exist because 
all is is form manifesting is emptiness emptiness manifesting is form that that's fascinating i mean particularly just what you had said at the start there about tibetan buddhism or buddhism in general perhaps influencing the christian visions of hell one of the interesting things about um modern christian near-death experiences of a hellish nature people have is that they they often depict um being tormented by demons being tortured mm-hmm. in some way and the devil being the king of hell right mm. and this is like totally not biblical like there's nothing in the bible about the devil ever being the king ah. of hell it's coming it's coming it's like the people think it might be the because hades was the greek god of the underworld so people yeah. are always surprised right because we have yeah. this i mean i remember my image of hell was formed by like Bugs bunny cartoons where you're somebody sam goes down and oh, has to yeah. do the up down to get back out right? that was my and it's all burning flames yeah yeah and so the devil yeah. is in charge of hell so there are some early-ish christian texts like the apocalypse of peter where all this idea of demons being allowed to roam free um, in hell and to sort of do their own thing and enjoy themselves mm. torturing people come in. Mm. But prior to that, uh, hell was a place of punishment for the demons. They weren't mm. like, they weren't oh, working oh. there, you know? So it's, it's yeah, really interesting to think that that imagery might've been um, borrowed, but not the non-dual understanding of that this is a psychological reflection in the West. Yeah. There's much more the sense of like, you go to hell for believing the wrong thing, for not behaving yourself, for getting yeah. kind of above yourself and yeah. being creative and trying to do your own thing spiritually. Like you well, strangely, the program. The, uh, well, strangely, if you look at the reasons we, that, that bring you to hell, like the reasons you may be reincarnated in hell, are similar things. They're like, you know, murdering a bunch of people, um, being, uh, you know, egotistical to the point of, uh, of taking another's life, um, you know, narcissistic egocentricity, this kind of thing. All these will lead to, to, to hell realms. I'm dying in a state of anger, like holding a lot of prejudice. I mean, it's very interesting, the studies in, in the last few years, which confirm what all us hippies have been saying for ages, which is that holding uh, the trauma of grief or racism or prejudice in the body can lead to major killers like cancer. Now, 10 years ago, that was kind of... Uh, you. I would never say that just because I was like, what evidence do I have? Now we have direct mm. evidence and we mm. know how it works. If we are constantly in sympathetic nervous system rather than parasympathetic rest and digest, if we're constantly in sympathetic nervous system activation, plaque builds up in the bloodstream, those plaques gather in the arteries, the gathering in the arteries leads to heart disease, hypertension, and many of the cancers. It's like, okay, there it is. Now, if you're constantly stressed out because you're so fucking pissed off about another race or you're constantly stressed out because of the grief that you aren't able to, um, to integrate or constantly stressed out because of the deep anger you have towards the world, that leads to the buildup of, of those black acids and it does lead to cancer. So that's interesting. And if you look at the effect that that has on our mind stream too, it's a similar hellish experience that we can be experiencing these hell realms in the waking, in the human waking state, but also to spend a lot of our time in that state might also lead to a rebirth in that state because that was the dominant mind state that we had in this life. And when we reincarnate, the, you know, the ego, it's not the ego that's being reincarnated. It's the mind stream, which is like the, uh, the personality isn't in the mind stream. That's not what's reincarnating. It's the habitual tendencies which are imprinted upon the mind stream. So if the dominant imprint in your, of, the, of your habitual tendencies in your mind stream at death is anger, prejudice, aggression, you're going to end up in a hell realm. It's not karma isn't judgment. It's not some God saying you are right or wrong. It's just saying these are the dominant karmic imprints. If you spent your life with the dominant karmic imprints of compassion, of love, of non-duality, then it's those imprints which are going to be in your mind stream at death, and they are going to naturally gravitate towards a different realm of being. 
either the human realm to continue your enlightenment, because it said the human realm is the easiest place to gain enlightenment, just the right amount of suffering, they say, mm -hmm. or even to a God realm, which is said to be like the gods do exist in Buddhism. They're just not the ultimate. The God realm is just as you'd expect. It's this amazing place where everything's manifested with thought. Uh, uh, you like take ages to die. You take ages. You never age. Or for kind of thousands of years, you don't age. Uh, everyone's beautiful. Everyone smells lovely. Everyone's almost enlightened. Um, just like the gods of these other religions, um, you know, Brahma lives there. But the point is, at some, at some point, that karma ends too. And then there's the fall from grace from the God realm. And often the drop from God realm is a really big drop because kind of like the higher you go, the, the, the mm -hmm. more you drop. So the best realm to be incarnated in is the human realm. And it's said in the human realm, there's even the possibility of entering the hell realm to help all beings. So someone like Lama Yeshe Rinpoche, who's my teacher in the Abbot Samaling Monastery in Scotland, um, because he's a bardo master, um, he has done and has brought to fruition the practice of being able to enter these realms of existence. Now you could see this as like an outer body experience where he kind of shifts out and enters some sort of objective reality where people who are experiencing hellish mind states are kind of drawn to or through lucid dreaming or one of the internal practice going mm. into his own internal hell realm to free almost kind of like a soul rescue thing, parts of himself that might be in these, in these hellish realms. And that was the instruction he gave to me when he asked me to do the lucid dreaming, um, to go to the hell realm and the lucid dream. Okay, we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute, because essentially, what, whether it's inner or outer, we're talking about hell as a spiritual practice, something people yeah. are actively seeing spiritual value in, and that's where I want to go. Just wrapping up the Tibetan Buddhist um, perspective, what's the prognosis for a soul in hell, if you're, you find yourself being caught up and reassembled and caught up and reassembled, is, there, is this um, a harsh invitation to move away from the psychological attitudes that is creating it? Is that, is that kind of it? You're stuck forever? Or is it an invitation, although a okay. difficult one, to check, continue? Check my notes on this. Like one day, one human day is equal to 2,000 years of days in the hell realm. So... And many people will spend 2,000 human years in the hell realm. So whatever that is, 200,000 or something like that, or 2 million, whatever it is, um, it's a long time. But if you're in a hell realm, you're exhausting karma. So every day in the hell realm, in one way, at least you're exhausting eons and eons of negative karma. It said, like, if I break my leg now, part of me can rejoice in that. Because I'm like, oh, at least I exhausted loads of negative karma. Again, it's not about being good or a bad person. It's about harmful and helpful. And if I've got this karma that needs to come to fruition, actually a broken leg is a pretty good way for it to occur because at least it's just happening to me. It can be fixed. Uh, I can take on the suffering for the benefit of all beings. So if you look at that, that's the kind of school of thought for how suffering is exhausted, how negative karma is exhausted. Then being in the hell realm, at least you kind of exhaust a lot of negative karma. Uh, but yeah, you're in there for a long time. I've just got this book. I'd like to read you a description because it's very Dante-esque. Um, what one should we do? Reviving hell, the black line hell, rounding up and crushing hell. Um, let's do the reviving hell. Oh no, the heating hell. Let's do that. This is really, this sounds very kind of a, a Christian. Here count, oh, by the way, the book is uh, Words of My Perfect Teacher by Patrick Rinpoche. The heating hell. Here countless beings suffer by being cooked in huge iron cauldrons the size of the whole cosmos of a billion worlds, where they boil in molten bronze. Whenever they resurface, they are grabbed by the workers with metal hooks and beaten about the head with hammers, sometimes losing their consciousness. Their idea of happiness in these rare moments when they no longer feel pain. 
Otherwise, they continually experience immense suffering. 1,600 human years equal one day among the gods. 16,000 years of these gods correspond to one day in this heating hell. And beings stay in that, in that realm for 16,000 of those years. So classic kind of Christian imagery of right? being boiled in pots of molten uh, uh, iron and stuff like that. Now, actually, because this is the Tibetan Buddhist, um, uh, this is a Tibetan Buddhist view, not the traditional. So we've got traditional Buddhism starting about five or 600 years before Christianity. So this would be about 500 BC. Okay. Um, that these kind of ideas are emerging. Oh, I might, might have that wrong, but at least uh, 500 BC. So it is a little bit later. Uh, and the Tibetan Buddhists were particularly into these ideas of the, of the bardos and the realms of existence, much more so actually than earlier Buddhism. Okay, so let's move then to, um, I was thinking about asking you, when I first had the idea to do the series, I, I had your name in, in mind, and then I listened to a podcast, the, an interview you recorded with um, some fellas from the Northeast, judging by their accents. Oh, the Geordie the, guys. The yeah. Geordie guys, yeah. A great interview. Um, so I'm listening. To, I wonder what Charlie's been up to. And then you started talking about um, when they asked you, what, what have you what's, on, what's on your sort of plate, spiritually, what are you focusing on? You said you've been doing meditation on hell and you gave an example of oh, yeah. um, a particularly hellish experience that you'd essentially invited in through lucid dreaming. So, I mean, maybe I'll ask you to recount that uh, yep. to start with and then, yeah, go on from there. Yeah, so often when people come to my workshops and they ask what's next, or what, when they come to retreats probably mainly, I tell them to go and see Lama Yeshe Rinpoche, uh, who's the abbot of Samaling. I say the next step is to go to him and ask him, what shall I do in my next lucid dream? Don't ask him for dream yoga instruction because he'll give you the same answer he always gives. In our, in our lineage, dream yoga instruction is usually only given in the four-year four retreat. If you want lucid dream instruction, go and see Charlie. That's basically his answer. But So don't say that. Go and ask him. Go and tell him, I am having lucid dreams. And now that I'm having lucid dreams, what shall I do in my next one? So you're basically asking him for a dream plan. Um, and I guess I assume maybe he told most people the same thing and stuff like that because a few people let me know and they were similar advices he gave. But obviously not because one lady came back, a friend of mine, and she said, oh, yeah, I went to Lamesha. He said I should go and visit the hell realm. And I was like, what? Like, are you sure? Because don't do that unless he definitely said it. She went, yeah. She said, he told me that in my lucid dream I should go and visit the hell realms. They're all manifestations of mine, but I should go and visit and explore. Uh, so then I found this out and I was a bit jealous. I was like, what? He's never told me I could do the hell realm thing. So then I went to see him and was like, um, yeah, so like the six realms of existence, quite interesting, isn't it? Like, do you think they could be visited in a lucid dream? And he was like, yes, absolutely. All mine, you should visit. And I was like, okay, even like the hell realms? He went, yes, all of them. So then I started working my way through the six realms of existence, um, including the heaven, the, the God realm, which was amazing. It was just like you, like the God realm, I just I became lucid and I was like, God realm now. And suddenly these pools of gold appeared. And in the pool of gold were the reflections of Lama Yeshe's face. Um, and then w whenever I thought anything, I had a, th a thought of, oh, how can I make it more beautiful? And just when I thought, how can I, even before I said the thought, these huge crystal mountains appeared. And I was like, whoa, you just have to think about have the thought about wanting something beautiful and it just appears. And I was like, whoa, the God realm was amazing. Um, so I was like, well, that was great, but now the hell realm. Now this one was different. I'd become lucid and I was in a car. You can do your lucid dream plan wherever you are. You know, people think, oh, I should do like Matrix and change it into a dojo before I do martial arts or change it into a Buddhist center before I meditate. Whatever, it's mine, it's nothing, right? It's just emptiness. So you can do your plan wherever. So I'm in a car and the car was, um, 
the car was speeding or going on the wrong side of the road or something. And I was like, what the hell? <gasps> I'm dreaming. So I become lucid and I'm now in the back seat of this car being driven by these dream carrots. I don't know who they were. I can't remember. And then I call out, hell realm now. I want to experience the hell realm now. And on the second now, the dream went. <clears throat> and it came to a, a, a stuckness, an, an absolute stuckness where movement had never existed. That was the feeling. Movement, the possibility of movement, had never existed in this place. Movement wasn't a concept. The only thing that was there was stuckness, absolute stuckness. That's the first thing. And then after this feeling of absolute stuckness, the next thing that happened was time went whoop. Now, the only time I've ever experienced that was on a ketamine overdose, where the concept of time was removed from my mind, so everything was infinity. So now I'm in ultimate stuckness with no possibility of movement and there had never been movement in this realm and i'm there for infinity and then the fear hit which i didn't have in the ketamine overdose actually i remember thinking there was no fear in that space either but here there was fear so now i'm like and i'm like i'm here forever in a state of absolute fear with no possibility of ever moving um and i lasted about five seconds before i was just doing everything I could to wake up, all the tricks, blinking my eyes, calling out, wake up, uh, thinking about my body in the bed, um, trying to work out when I'd gone to sleep, all the things that you shouldn't do if you want to stay in the lucid dream mm. to pull me back. And it felt like a fucking infinity, but I'm sure it was about five seconds later I woke up. But that was a long five seconds. And I woke up with like somatic resonance. <laughs> oh, oh, oh God. And I was like, whoa, I never, ever, ever want to go back to that place. Um, I then recounted the dream to Lamieshe, and I just found out he's put it in his biography. Oh, wow. uh, he thought it was not, not, I don't know what he thought about it, but anyway, apparently it's in his biography because they had the right to say, am I okay to have that dream? In? I don't think he mentions my name. He just says one, one of my students even managed to visit a hell realm and they experienced this infinite stuckness and stuff. So I guess by that he was, he was confirming that it was a true experience because when you tell him this, because if they smell any ego, any ego, they just smash you. So you have to tell him this experience and just be like, just stick to the facts. This is what happened. That's what happened. That's what happened. I woke up. And he just went, okay. You know, that's it. There's no kind of like, well done, pat on the back, all the things you want. But the fact that he included it in his biography, I think is a confirmation that it was a true experience and was a valid experience. And to me, that definitely felt like my vision of hell, stuckness, inability to move, no growth, no fruition, no nothing. So what do you draw from that coming out of that? Okay, because I've, I've had like three vivid waking dream experiences of hell, okay? And they've been somewhat induced. In the, the, there are times that I've been reflecting a lot upon hell. And one of them was, I, I, nothing hellish was going on. I found myself, I was like on like a high tower and then I was falling off it and I saw this perfect black circle. And that's the first thing that struck me is just how perfect this circle was. And the, the rim of it was on fire, right? Way beneath me. And I'm falling into it. And it's like, oh, that's hell. And I'm falling in. And when I meditated on it, it was terrifying, right? But when I meditated on it, when I woke up, I saw like two things jumped out at me, right? One is that it was far away. And I think my dreams uh, use far away to symbolize outside of consciousness. Okay. Oh. And the other thing was I'm falling, which is a fairly obvious one. It's like, I'm not being pushed into this where you can resist. If you're in free fall, there's, there's mm. nothing you can do, right? Mm. Um, so what I, what I saw was that this is 
my image of hell there is something that's outside of myself. That's what I'm really afraid. I'm not afraid of like difficult experiences in consciousness that have spiritual growth potential. But if it's something you're afraid that, of if duality, I, I'm afraid of duality. If I fucked <laughs> up and this really is a dualistic universe and I've done something wrong, I, you know, then and so and then just to re-enter that dream in meditation and see, ah, yeah, but it was in consciousness, right? So to have that experience, that that's what came through. So I, I'm like. I, I was curious after listening to you tell that story on the um, the Geordie Lads podcast, what did you make of that about your relationship to stillness or stuckness or anything in the, in the time afterwards? Just that, that I think my uh, my freedom is constant movement. So, and it wasn't stillness. It wasn't like meditative stillness. It was stuckness. That's the phrase that came through, stuckness. That the concept of movement had never been there. And I think because I'm someone who likes literally to move, to dance, uh, someone who tries to be in a state of growth, in flux, um, the whole idea that we're in bardos, in Buddhism, there is no point of stuckness. That is the only thing there is never. You know, that Chogam Trumpa quote, bad news is you're falling. Good news is there's no ground. You know, there's no ground to hit. Mm -hmm. So I guess that idea that being stuck in a timeless void of of with no possibility of growth is my personal hell. And these are, that, that's the Buddhist view too. These are, these are um, completely subjective. Everyone, although, although these hell realms can be seen objectively, just like this human realm can be seen objectively, our experience of this human realm is absolutely subjective. You know, two people look at prison bars, one sees mud, yeah. the other sees stars. In the hell realm, that's amplified. So your vision of hell, your experience of hell will be totally different to mine they'll be based on our cultural conditioning just like when we die you know the bardo experience is culturally specific so when the white light dawns before the red light and the luminous black light of death um the the people standing at the the, the beings in that white light are culturally specific right i'll see buddha and lama Yeshe. someone else might see jesus and mother mary um maybe richard dawkins appears to the atheists who knows it's like it's culturally specific so the hell realms are also culturally specific so yeah, what I take from it is that insight into what is my hell? My hell is stuckness. My hell is no growth. My hell is no movement. My hell is the infinite timeless of stuckness, uh, the infinite stuckness beyond time. Okay, I'm going to ask you to speak to people who may be struggling with um, hateophobia, the fear of hell, right? Now, my, my most recent hellish experience is it was an intense dream which woke me up. It was so shocking. And it was the experience of them falling into this chasmous, empty, rocky, barren land that was infinite in all directions. And I was completely alone there for all time. Right. Mm. And I think I'm still really figuring this one out um, because I think there's a lot of meaning there for me about my personal relationships, about mm. a sense of being loved, whatever else. Mm. Um, yeah, probably personal relationships and how I value them and so on. Um, but like what I was overcome by, right? Because I, I felt like I just died in my bed, right? When, when it was mm. happening. And it really gave me a lot more feeling for why people who have these kind of intense experiences, whether it's, well, all religious indoctrination from youth, but I'm talking, thinking really of like a near-death experience or some sort of hellish vision, um, why they can go down a path of being coming like very literally into whatever religion, predominantly Christianity in this mm. way. And you do have people mm. who are atheists who become evangelical preachers mm. after one of these experiences. Because I'm thinking like, well, you know, 
I have the symbolic vocabulary to go, oh, what does that symbolize? What, what is the mm. metaphor going on here? Mm. As do you, but both of us were in the experience. It's like, ah, get me out of here, you know, as soon as, mm. and then it's, it's completely overwhelming. I'd never experienced anything so horrible. So mm. um, like now just with, like asking you to speak to that, I know that you've gone on, on different lines. Like when you've spoken about um, sleep paralysis and um, night terrors, you've done like very scientific brain-based stuff about that and how, how it kicks in. Um, and you've also spoken about the spiritual value of these experiences. So I'm interested in like, yeah, what you might say to someone who's like struggling with um, those experiences um, of like a, a paranoia around hell and how maybe they could engage with that in a way that it, it rather than being a terrible, awful, fearful thing, it becomes something where that contains the potential for spiritual growth. I don't know, man. Like when you're saying that, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to say to the to, to people who are having that. I mean, yeah. So first one, first response, I don't know. And I'm sorry, but I don't I don't know what to say to people who are going through that. And then the second thing is, I guess if I had to hazard a guess, it might seem like if we can move lucidly and consciously into hellish states that we experience in this life, we might be in some way not only preparing ourselves for experiencing those if we ever do in a hell realm, but also helping dissolve the fear which will lead us to enter those realms in the first place anyway. So if we are experiencing a lot of anger, a lot of depression, a lot of trauma in our lives, if we can experience it fully, consciously, not asking for more of it, but knowing that this is where I am right now and that that's okay, then perhaps through that, we not only exhaust the causes and conditions that would lead us to go to hell anyway, or to experience these hellish states after death, but we might also help to become more lucid in this state in life. But I mean, that sounds good, right? It sounds right. It sounds like kind of what I should be saying, but I'm not sure if I really believe it. I know when I'm experiencing the hell realms, it's just fucking horrible and I want to get out of it. And sometimes I can maintain a semblance of tiny, you know, dust speck lucidity within it. But a lot of the time I'm lost in it. I'm completely, I'm sleepwalking into hellish situations in my life, you know, a depression and heartbreak and trauma. So I don't really think I'm in a position to offer anyone any advice. Um, I'm scared of those hell states too. I'm scared of heartbreak and trauma and losing loved ones. Um, but I think I also know or, or truly believe that these are non-dualistic states, that, that if I can go to my deathbed knowing I didn't kill too many people, I didn't do too many bad things. I lived the majority of my life trying to help others. Then it's very unlikely that I'm going to experience those hell realms of death. And so I can die without fear. Um, also the Buddhist view of, you know, you mentioned the sleep paralysis thing there with demons and stuff. The, the Tibetan Buddhist kind of, de well, not kind of, the Tibetan Buddhist definition of the word that is translated as demon is this, anything that prevents your experience of freedom. So Machig Labdron, who is the female master of the practice of Chu, which then became later um, a version of it, very westernized version known as feeding your demons practice, which a lot of people know about. Um, she was asked by her son, oh, mother, tell me, what are these demons that you speak so much of? She replies, oh, son of noble family, when you hear your mother refer to the term demon, I do not speak of black horned creatures who terrify everyone they look upon. When you hear your mother talk of demon, she talks of anything that prevents your experience of freedom. She then goes to list the dominant demons of, of the human realm, the demon of egocentricity, the demon of dualistic grasping, the demon of um, 
what is it where you can't be bothered to do something? Uh, procrastinate. Swamp the demon person. of, uh, it, sorry, yeah, that's the wrong term, isn't it? But the demon of procrastination around your spiritual practice, that's a big demon. Um, the demon of an addiction, the demon of an obsession, the demon of lack of self-worth, the demon of believing that you don't have divine potential. These are the demons. Um, and yet there are a lot of, you know, indigenous Tibetans who won't know that. Just as a lot of uh, indigenous Christians don't know the, 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 the deep mystic undertones of the Bible, so too the many Tibetans will not know that, will think that demons are, are real, even though all the texts say, take a demon as a demon and it is real. No, a demon is your mind and nothing can harm you. So the same with sleep paralysis and fears we have around this, that if we can enter into a, 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 um, an awareness that these are mind created, then we're safe. Like it's all, everything's a belief system, right? But with Buddhism, there's a belief system that says, this is a compassionate universe. There is no evil. You are a fully enlightened Buddha who just hasn't quite woken up to that fact yet. Now, if I have to choose a belief system, I choose that one. I choose the one where I'm a fully enlightened Buddha, where there's no evil and this is a compassionate universe. Why would I choose the one where there's evil, where, where the universe is a battle between good and evil and there's darkness and there's things trying to possess my body and like no one's really enlightened, everyone's a sinner. Like, why would I choose that one? Now I'm aware it's a belief system as unreal as any other belief system. But if I have to believe in an unreal belief system, I choose that one that's empowering and allows me to have sleep paralysis and know it's not really a witch riding my back. It's simply a projection of my own mind. It's a, it's a shadow, it's a fear. And just as Jung talked of shadows being split off parts of ourself, if a trauma or a harmful mind state becomes so split off from us, uh, sorry, if we allow a trauma or harmful mind state to become so split off, it will become its own identity. And it will seem like a completely autonomous demon. And when you meet it in your lucid dream, you will have the feeling, this is not my mind. And if it is projected into the waking state, it will look real. You'll be able to touch it. It will have form. Just because it has form and seems real and appears in a dualistic way does not mean that that's true. It simply means that the shadow has become so split off and separated, or so in Jung's terms, demonic, split off, uh, away from, um, that it will appear that way. Um, but the Buddhist view is that even if it appears that way in full manifestation, it is still mind. And the rules still apply, that love is the most powerful force in the universe. So embrace it. Like when I do the lucid dreaming stuff about if ever you see a demon, you lucid dream, hug it. And almost always someone says, but what about the collective shadow? What about if you meet Satan, the, the, you know, the, collective, the manifestation of the collective world shadow? What if you were to meet him in a lucid dream and you hugged him, surely you'd wake up and you'd be possessed. I was like, if you could hug Satan in a lucid dream, if you could hug the actual collective archetype of evil, you could wake up to world peace. So yes, still the, rule, the same rules apply, that love is the most powerful weapon in your arsenal. And if you approach these demons, these shadows, these hellish states with fear and a belief that they are a separate entity, you will experience them in that fearful way as a separate entity. Whereas if you go in there with a non-dualistic mind state, that is your greatest protection, apparently. Yeah, and that's like in part why I was keen to, one of the reasons I was keen to, to talk to you is people meeting things like Satan or whatever in, in dreams. I think people overwhelmingly have the sense they've met something greater than themselves, right? They've met something that their mind didn't generate. And, and all the experiences that I've had hellishly, like there's a part of it I can see I'm drawing symbolism from, like I mentioned the Bugs Bunny cartoons, but then I've, I've had hellish visions where like 
that that kind of outlay was there in a more sinister manner, and I can see where I've drawn it from. And then there's something else that just goes way beyond me, right? It's yeah, like, well, I can never collective. imagine that. Yeah. And I think if you don't have, like Tibetan Buddhism, uh, as you know, do many of the world's perennial philosophy, but Tibetan Buddhism perhaps particularly gives a way of understanding that, of like these uh, thought-created realities, yeah. right? Because if you don't have that and you meet something that is, you know, it's not coming from your mind, oh there is God, it must almost an inevitable, you have to take it literally, right? You have yeah. to think, well, that's the real reality. Yeah. Right? So the... Yeah, I mean, it must, it, it scares me. I'm like, fuck, man, I'm so thankful I have this belief system. So aware it's a belief system. So aware it is no better than any other belief system. So aware it is as illusory as any of the monotheistic belief systems. But yeah, I'm kind of glad I got this one. I remember a Christian woman once that she was the, grandma of a girlfriend I had in my 20s and she said um well you must be very brave being a Buddhist and I said why and she went well no god everything's down to you and I was thinking in my head no you must be very brave being a Christian because for you this hell stuff is real you know there's like yeah I I felt the opposite I felt that she was very brave being part of a monotheistic mm. religion so it's all just belief system stuff no one's right or wrong and I'm sure there are people listening to this just going, this guy's fucking nuts. So I'm swearing a lot, aren't I? I don't know. I think it's okay. Your... I don't know. How, I don't know if like YouTube will tell me. I don't think YouTube is. I think it's fine. <laughs> okay. It's just because I feel very relaxed with Richard. So I, I, I'm <laughs> talking true. as if I, we're just kind of having a chat. Um, uh, actually, yeah. I think a well, well-placed swear word can be quite a good way to yeah, that's add the, that's exclamation to a, to a point. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, just again, that I know people might be listening to this and thinking I'm, I'm completely nuts. And I'm aware that anyone kind of into spirituality or religiously minded is kind of nuts. Like if I listed the things I believe, I mean, if I, if, if I went to a psychiatrist and said, I believe this is a dreamlike illusion, empty of inherent existence mm -hmm. that we are co-creating uh, through the manifestation of our, our minds, you tick like number 10 on all the psychopathy boxes and you, <laughs> you get sectioned. So I'm aware this sounds madness and it is madness, but we're all, we're all in this state of madness. I think duality is a state of madness. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. For that, <laughs> um, I was hoping to you end. Edit I was out my ranting. Of, no, I was thinking about ending before when you said it's all love, but now you said it's all madness. So I think that might be a good place to... <laughs> But if I think I've covered all my posts. Is there anything else you'd like to, to say? Or are you, uh, you good at that? No, just that anyone watching this, especially any Buddhists, just correct me in the, uh, in the comments and stuff like that. I'm sure I got a lot of stuff wrong. Um, but I feel I've been there. I've been to the hell realm in my mind. If I hadn't have had that lucid dream, to be honest, I wouldn't have said yes to this interview. Mm. I'd be like, oh, I'm sitting here with my bloody book and my notes. And like, you know, I'm, I'm reading from that. Anyone could do that. But since I had the lucid dream where I actually visited that state and then did manage to visit the other states of existence, I feel like I have some practical thing to share. Um, and yeah, just include if the hell realm is anything like what I experienced, be kind, be kind, like integrate your shadow, integrate your anger, integrate your prejudice because you don't want that to come at you at death or I don't anyway. Okay. Thanks very much, Charlie. And uh, have you on again. Talk about something more fluffy and <laughs> heaven <laughs> heaven we'll do heaven next year you're in it <laughs>